Again, welcome. Uh, so glad you guys are here on this beautiful day. I guess I need to take off, take off, take off my aviators. Heather said I look like the Unabomber with a hoodie and aviators on. So, um, so that I don't look like the Unabomber, and so that I could also see. Um, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to grab grab it, and we're going to be in just for today, just Colossians uh, chapter one. It seems like if you've ever read this passage, this passage seems like it's just a continuation of uh, John's epilogue in John chapter 1. Uh, very similar language, if you're familiar with that one. Uh, so that's where we're going to be, just a few verses, uh, just highlight a couple things that are taking place. Uh, if, I were in, uh, if I were a pastor in, in China, Iran, uh, Wherever, insert the blank of your country of choice or maybe of your state of choice. If I were back in Georgia or if I were in pastor in here, I have one objective uh, as a pastor, one goal, and that goal is simply so that I can proclaim Christ Jesus. That's it. That is my mission objective in life. I feel like that is my calling as an individual, and, and, and I, I hope you understand that that is also your calling as an individual also, is to just simply know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and to proclaim him and to make him known. That's it, all right? If you're here and maybe this is your first time here, if you're looking for somebody who's gonna like help you, give you like insight in how to live your best life now, bro, I ain't got none of that because I'm still trying to figure that out to myself and I'm probably the last person that needs to be the one giving you advice on how to live your life, okay? But I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to proclaim to you the full counsel of God's word and mainly proclaim who Jesus is because you can never get enough of that in your own life. Paul is going to talk to us and really kind of give us a defense of or apologia of, of who Christ is to the church of Colossae. Colossians chapter 1, and just simply verse 15 through 20, it says this, Paul writes this as a letter uh, to a church, and he says this, he, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Just one more time, let us just go before the Lord and pray over the reading of God's word this morning. So Father, we thank you, God, for your word Maybe somebody came and maybe they're listening out in the skirts of this pavilion and they're searching for a word. God, thank you that your word was just audibly spoken over us, Lord. 
And it is a glimpse of the supremacy, the deity, and the sufficiency of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we say, thank you, God, that all of us would leave here collectively and say, look how glorious Christ is. And we thank you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. The, the idea of who Jesus is is a pretty big and significant, uh, weighty matter. Because honestly, if, if you get the idea of, or if you get the, the, the definition or who Jesus is wrong, you, you have to come to grips with that this has eternal significance. This is a weighty matter. This is one that we cannot juggle around and just and say, well, I think this. Well, no, the Bible is clear. God wants us to know who he is. Because eternity for your soul, for your neighbor's soul, for uh, your, your, your family's soul, it has eternal significance to it. Now, if you think back a few years, uh, you, you, you know, we used to turn the television on to uh, certain channels. And, and one of those channels around Easter time would be the Discovery Channel. And they would give you, like, who they thought Jesus was. And it was just like this... this uh, I don't mean to be crass. I'm a kind of uh, a, just kind of a shoot straight from the hip kind of person. And they just give you a crappy version of Jesus. All right. It was just like, you know, well, he probably didn't live. He probably didn't, you know, whatever. It's just kind of this skewed idea of who Jesus is. And I would even venture to say that even like today, like proclaiming the sufficiency, the deity, and, and really the authority of Christ is politically incorrect. In our day, saying that Jesus is God in, in some circles, that'll get you canceled. But Paul here is writing to a church where, where nothing has changed. The deity of Jesus is being challenged by some people called the Gnostics. Right? So there's this idea. Some of these words, sufficiency, supremacy, all these kind of things. I'll unpack all of these as we go, including Gnostic. Paul is defending to the church in Colossae this type of Gnosticism. You think about the word Gnosticism, it means to know. So there was a sect of people infiltrating the church in its infant stage, trying to deter them from the deity of Jesus. Oh, Jesus isn't God. You know, some believe that he was like just some angelic being. And, and some of them like, well, he didn't really rise from the dead. And then the other thing that was being challenged was, is that you have to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation. And so they would come in with like, well, no, actually, you need more revelation. You need, you need more knowledge because like of the unknown universe, there's just so much more knowledge for us to, to go out there in the stars and grab. And, and, and there was just like all of this stuff was infiltrating the church. And, and, and our boy Paul was like, no, we, we can't have that infiltrating the church because you've got to understand the deity of Jesus You've also got to understand the supremacy of Jesus, and you've got to understand the sufficiency of Jesus. In other words, in other words, you've got to understand who Jesus is, that Jesus is God, the only way, the truth, and the life. And you've also got to come to wrestle with his supremacy. Now, we don't call like presidents or kings like the supreme ruler, but you've got to come one day face to Jesus 
And you will call him the supreme sovereign ruler over all things. So the deity of Jesus, Paul is defending. The supremacy of Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, king over all things. And the sufficiency of Jesus, which, which will give us some comfort. Which, which means that Jesus is enough. And that's where the Gnostics come in. Well, he's not enough. You've got to do more. You've got to understand this. You've got to come to grips with this. And so Paul is addressing those three things. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is enough. So let's look at some of these things that Paul is talking about. Because Paul has given us this this deep, rich, theological, Christ-centered approach to who Jesus is. And in fact, he's writing this letter not for some, like, you know, study to be had. But he's writing this this letter for, for the church of Colossae. Read this letter out loud. And for some of you, this will be poetic in nature. And you could sing this in your church. So this is the context of what's happening. So, so he is the image of the invisible God. How can something invisible have an image? You ever thought about that? How can something invisible have an image? But in Greek philosophy, the image is said to be the reality of who he is. In, in other words, if you want to see God, if you want to know God, If you want to know what God is like, then all you got to do is look in the God-man, Jesus. That's all you got to do. You are searching for God. You are looking for God. And Paul's like, let's pause the brakes for just a second here. If you want to know God in his fullness, look no further than the person of Jesus Christ. You, you, got, you got to see his character when we study through the Gospels. You get to see that God is loving. And you see that how Jesus approaches people who are in need, who need healing, who are in just need of saving grace. He goes to them with grace, with mercy, and with love. But, 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 but you, can't, you can't stop right there either. Because not only do you see Jesus as a loving God, as someone who cares, as someone who is gathering all of those who are on the marginalized uh, or who are on the societal marginalization, and he's gathering all of them and telling them, come on in into the fold of the kingdom of God. But Jesus is also, if you want to know God, you could also see that God is also a challenging God. Jesus is going to go to some of these religious leaders, and he's going to call them on their stuff for what it is. And so we, we want to know who God is. Look no further into the person of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on. He gives us some kind of, if you're just new to this whole faith thing, and if you're, you're new to all of this Christianity, you're like, wait a minute, the firstborn of all creation? What? What does that even mean? It's important to know what he did not say. He did not say the first created being. You got to understand your Old Testament, Okay. Old Testament is going to be pointing to Jesus and and the rules of hermeneutics, another big word, means the the context of the scripture, how to interpret scripture. You look at this passage, you look at other passages around it, and then you look at the whole story of, of, of the Bible and you would see that the word firstborn is nothing that was just new and invented by Paul. 
This is how the Old Testament is as a title of expressing a status, right? This is an expression of Jesus' status. It's a ranking. So that he is highly ranked, ranked above all creation. Ranked above you, ranked above your mama, ranked above your neighbor, honey, ranked above the president of the United, ranked above every dictator, every government authority. Jesus Christ is ranked higher above all of those things. He is not a created being. But his ranking is one of authority. Again, what is Paul doing? He's defending the deity of Jesus. And so Paul says, look, don't be listening to them Gnostic jokers who are out there spreading all this heresy in the church. You remember the supremacy. You remember the deity of Jesus Christ. That he ranks above all those ideas. He ranks above all those philosophies. Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation. And by him, through him, and for him, all things were created. So this expresses why Christ is preeminent over creation. Them children are having a good time over there. Somebody's screaming their heart out over there. You know, sometimes I just wished I had that joy, or at least the motivation to have that joy, but I just don't. I'm an old cranky man, I guess. Christ has, pre, pre, Christ has precedence over all things in terms of his status, that God did not simply start things off and then just withdraw himself from, as the deist or the theist believe, that God was just like some cosmic creator, and he's like, you know what, I'm just going to place my hands off of it, and I'll just let all them jokers just feel, uh, you could just figure it out on your own self. No, here's what he did, insert Jesus Christ, that all things, every molecule is held together by none other than Jesus Christ. Your life, it's not held by you. Honey, you ain't that good. You barely made it out of bed this morning. Okay? Jesus is holding your life together. Every molecule in the cosmos is being directly held together by Jesus Christ. And here's another thing that this passage is revealing to us, if you ain't caught up yet in your theology, that Jesus was the active creation, active agent of creation. That if you study John's gospel, that, that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the active creative agent that is the one creating all of these things. He is not a creative being. He's the one that created you. He's the one that formed all of this that we see. And I love this message, particularly like with that at the backdrop, right? Like that's an insane image that Jesus did that. And you look at your life. And you look at who you are right now. You are not the one that's sustaining your life. Jesus is. And Paul is telling this to this church. Don't forget the one who is sustaining you and the one who created you. And not only that, he's going to go from this major macro level of who Jesus is down to the micro level of who Jesus is. 
And that what is he? He is also the head of the church. I just said that real country, the church, because it's getting a little hot out here. That he is the head of the church. All right, and here's where, here's where that little boy uh, right in front of you wants to do a little shout and praise break. That means, all right, now I believe that God has given us an order and structure for church, but here's what this means right here. If this church collapses, that's okay. You know why? Because Jesus is still the head of his church. If I am removed and plucked out of this equation, that doesn't matter. You know why? Because I was never in charge in the first place. Jesus is the head of his church. And what an incredible reminder for all of us to rest in the fact that not a man, not a woman, not a president, not a prophet, not a pastor, not a bishop is the head of his church. Jesus Christ is the head of his church. And so then we can rest in that, right? Because if he's the head of the church, then the church of the living God will not fail in its mission. And the church of Jesus Christ will never die. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And Jesus don't make no mistakes. In fact, Jesus said that I'm building an ecclesia, a gathering of the called out ones, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. Why? Because he is the general contractor and the incredible head of his church. Therefore, it will not and cannot fail. So Jesus is the head of his church. And then he goes on from the firstborn, from the dead. Again, it's this, it's this ranking over death. In other words, that death itself could not be the ultimate authority in this life, right? We get death introduced in Genesis chapter three and suddenly within all of us, we have this fear, this fear of, well, maybe death is the ultimate authority and maybe there's nothing after that. And Paul is just gently reminding this church that death is not the end for those who are found believing in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he ranks higher over death. He destroyed death by the cross and his resurrection. And he goes in the preeminence. Again, that's the ranking of his first place. That Jesus is above all things. And then he gives us this verse that I, I love so much. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, this word fullness calls us back to Old Testament language. All right, and that's the language of God's feeling of his presence in the temple. In fact, we see this throughout the Old Testament as a theme where, where God's presence was confined in a temple that was made with man's hands. In fact, you can see this in Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 4. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. And perhaps Paul here is drawing us back to this image and this idea that used to, y'all used to have to go to the temple and, and really you couldn't. Like you had to have a priest go before, like make way on your behalf. 
But now what's happened? A shift, a dramatic shift at that. What's happened is a reorientation of all religion, of all the covenant, where now the temple made by man's hands is obsolete because now the presence of the living God in here, what we see, the fullness of God, the presence of God is now residing in Jesus, and then Jesus is going to unleash this presence on his people. So the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. If you want another deep theological term, I'll give you one. It's called the hypostatic union, that it is fully God, fully man, that the presence of God, fully in the God-man, Jesus Christ. And I love this because now he moves from because of this presence, because of the work of Christ, now we get to be reconciled back to Jesus Christ through what? Through the blood of his cross. That there had to be made a payment, and that payment was violent on our behalf. And that anyone who had come to be reconciled to Jesus could now have that redwelling the presence of God, the spirit of the living God, dwell inside, reside inside of you. And, and, and here we go back to how we all started this. That is why we can say as believers that Christ is sufficient for me. That Christ is enough for me. How can I say that? Because his presence dwells in my life. Christ is enough. It's not Christ plus something else. It's not Jesus plus your works. It's not Jesus plus let's get some deeper divine, you know, universal revelation of who Jesus is. It's Christ in Christ alone. I'm waiting for it. As soon as I start talking, uh, Hillbilly's going to rev that thing back up, but that's okay. Just a few thoughts on that. If I were back in the South, he'd been a redneck, but I don't know if y'all know what that means. It, just a few thoughts on this passage, and I think how this all applies to all of us. And I just got three questions for us. And the first question is pretty simple. It's pretty an obvious question. It's kind of screaming out to us. And that is, are we reflecting Jesus Christ? That if he is the image of the invisible God, are we being that image of Jesus Christ to others around us? And I'm not asking you to answer that for yourself right now. You, you, need, to, you need to go belabor on that for yourself. Is my life reflecting Jesus? Am I living a life of grace? Am I living a life of truth? Am I acting like Jesus and going out in the marginalized uh, and reaching out to the people who are lost? Am I, am I, am I showing the love of Jesus Christ? And, and also, am I challenging, am I challenging others in culture with the truth? And not that you're doing that in, in a turd-like manner. Again, there's my crassness. But are you doing this when, in grace, in love? 
Am I, am, I, am I reflecting Jesus? And I think us, for, us collectively, can we answer that question as a, as a local body of Christ? Is our church reflecting Jesus? Or are we reflecting maybe our own ideas? Or are we reflecting uh, maybe personalities or my agenda or my preferences? And the question we have to answer, are we reflecting Jesus Christ? I think the other question that we have here is are we placing our hope in Jesus. If the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus, you will not be able to find satisfaction in any other things. You try it. Go try to find satisfaction. Like you know that, that, that completeness. Go find it in a relationship. Tell me how it works out for you. Tell me, well, you know, I married Mr. Perfect or Ms. Perfect. And then, and then wait for Mr. Perfect not to flush the toilet or wait for Ms. Perfect, you know, to, to, to be petty betty one day. And then you're going to think, well, wait a minute. This relationship is not fulfilling like I thought it would be. And I don't know who that is clapping, but I hope you ain't married, right? <laughs> Canary went on. One of y'all better be clapping on that. Because some of y'all are like, well, you know, my, my wife is the most satisfying thing on the planet. And you are a liar. You go find satisfaction in sex, in drugs, in alcohol, in, in, in whatever. I, in, sorry, in money. And here's what you're going to be, here's, here's, here's what you're going to be wrestling with. Well, wait a minute, this isn't enough. I've got to have more. Jesus Christ it's the only thing, it's the only God, it's the only way that you will find satisfaction. Jesus is the only way that you will find satisfaction in this life. And I think that goes right into this last idea, is he, is he preeminent in your life? Is, is it Jesus, in other words, is it Jesus plus something, right? Now, have you fallen into Gnosticism of our days? Well, it's Jesus plus, I've got to live a really, really spectacular life just so I could prove to my neighbor that I'm the better neighbor. Is it Jesus plus, you know, gaining more wealth? Is it Jesus plus gaining more power? Is it Jesus plus anything because the moment you start putting Jesus into an equation or you put Jesus right beside the plus sign, you have gone wrong in your theology. You've gone wrong the moment you place Jesus plus, I've got to do something. Well, it's Jesus plus me and how I live my life. Well, it's Jesus plus, I've got to have a deeper understanding. It's Jesus plus a deeper revelation. Immediately when you start putting yourself into the equation of it, you've gone incredibly wrong and your soul is in danger. Is Jesus sufficient? Is he enough for you? And if he is not enough, then you have come out here on this particularly beautiful day to hear about the deity of Jesus Christ. That Christ is God. And that Christ is above all things and he is ruling and reigning over all things. And Jesus is enough for me to place my faith in. To place my trust in knowing he's the one that's going to sustain me.
knowing that in the end of my life, at the end of my day, when I stand before the judge and I stand before Jesus Christ, he'll welcome me in. And the only way that's going to be made possible is if Jesus is sufficient for you. And if Jesus is enough for you. And I got to lay that before you. Is Jesus, God, is Jesus enough for you? I, I told you how I started this, and I'm almost done. I want to know Jesus. That's it. I don't, I have no other agenda. I, I, if, if you're coming here and you're looking for a pastor that has political agendas or has this or that agendas or, you know, you want to make this part of, uh, you know, the pastor ministry, I, 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 have, I have one agenda and that's it. And it's just to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and to make him known to all people. And I plead before us as a church that that is our cry that I just want to know Jesus, the power of his resurrection, and I want to make him known. Let me pray over us this morning, and they're going to come up, and we're going to close out in a worship song.